somewhere in the Houston Midtown area. It's to sit down with Slick Vic. Welcome everyone, it's to sit down with Slick Vic. Got a very special guest today, local actor Lawrence Bell II. Lawrence, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, my brother. I have, you know, known you for some years now. That's you right. You are one of my OGs in <laughs> a sense, you know, and I um it's it's a blessing to be here in 2021. We have survived long. Oh yeah, 2020 <laughs> was a motherfucker, man. I'm saying <laughs> it was so much that was going on and changing and people going in and out of your life, you know what I mean? Like I mean, there's so many different uh, different chapters in 2020 that we don't want to open again. <laughs> no, man, I, I completely agree, man. It's, it's definitely a year you want to forget, right? Sure. Um, this is y- true. Yeah, I mean, with COVID, with with the election, mm-hmm. I mean, there was just so much bullshit where where there was more things to divide, right? Yes. Pe- you know, now we're kind of in this year where we're trying to put all the pieces back together. I um I noticed that people are taking advantage of obviously the amount of time that we've had off away from the norm that uh life used to be where people were able to go out like Jerry Seinfeld has a great joke where he talks about you have people that live their lives specifically to be out they don't plan anything. They don't <laughs> have any aspirations, no dreams. They just know they want to be out. Tonight, I got to get out. Something, something's <laughs> got to get out of me. Like, something's got to give. I got to get out. And I, um, I've i kind of suffered from that naturally since I was a kid as far as talking to people. Like, I've always, like, I have to talk to people. Like, I've, I've never been a hermit. I can sit down and be patient. But eventually, I need someone to talk to or entertain. And that's why I you know, became an actor at an early age. I mean, I started when I was three. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what, what was, uh, was it you that wanted to do it? Did you go, hey, mom, hey, dad, like, I want to act? Or how, how did that whole process begin? begin? When I was three years old, I went to this private school called St. James in Third Ward off of Southmore. And this was the same school that Beyonce went to and Latoya Luckett. And so uh, going up at St. James, I grew up knowing Destiny's Child, even at that early of an age, or, you know, the Knowles and stuff, because they were going around my neighborhood performing, like just naturally, like early on as kids. And I uh, was in The Wizard of Oz when I I was three years old as a lollipop kid. (laughs) And I kept trying to trip Dorothy. And my mom was trying to record me in the play at the same time and say, get your ass, come up, come up on that stage. And da, da, da. Cause I was like, look, I'm I'm bored. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I knew that I was on a stage and people were watching. Like, you know, I can, you know, you have photographs of when you were younger and stuff. Right, say, right. Stay in your head. I still remember being on that stage. And as I got older, I knew that I wanted to uh, be on bigger stages. Like I knew I wanted something, a foundation where people are watching me and it's strong under my feet. Like I wanted a strong stage to stand on, even at an early age. And my early auditions that I had were mainly theater. And I did local theater for the ensemble since I was six years old. And I didn't start my professional acting career until about eight or nine years old. And I booked the first audition I ever went on. Which was for what? Uh, 
it was a nationwide commercial for the Shell Houston Open Golf Tournament. Oh, okay. And it was so this was around like 2004, 2005, and this was supposed to be with Tiger Woods at the time, who was a top golfer. Right. And uh, closer to the commercial, they uh, Tiger wasn't able to do it because his father was sick, and this was like. I mean, the last couple of months of his life or something like right, that. Right, right. And we ended up doing it with the president of Shell Oil. Okay. And he, I mean, he had a ring on his finger. He was worth billions of dollars, you know, right, the CEO. Right. He had a ring on his finger, man. I mean, make the baby chain look like little chain. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. his, I mean, his bling was crazy. And uh, I did the commercial, and the commercial was a SAG commercial. And uh, the SAG, you know, is the Screen Actors Guild right. and the union and stuff. And so from an early age, I became SAG eligible after that. And my whole career, and this, you know, shocks a lot of people, I've never paid SAG dues. I've never paid to be a part of the union, but I've had more work than most people who are SAG eligible would have. Because my first work permit was when I was around nine or ten years old. Mm -hmm. And after that, I got a, um, a Coogan fund. A Coogan fund is a, a trust uh, account for child actors uh, for money to go in there, you know, until they get over 18. Oh, and, okay. Uh, it was started uh, by some child actor, last name Coogan, and his parents tried to steal all his money when he was younger. <laughs> Typical. Exactly. <laughs> and he sued the living daylights out of them and got every, you know, thing back, and they started a fund in his name. And so um, having that foundation, it helped out, too, because eventually I made my way to California for more work because I've always done local work here in Houston. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this. When uh, when you approached your parents about acting as when you were really young, was there any pushback on that? The um, the only pushback was because I was bad. <laughs> I was at a young age. I, I mean, the world didn't click for me until seven or eight because. Before that, I just was me, me. If you're not my friend, I don't like you, da 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 da. And right. after I got baptized and was spending more time in the church and spent more time alone, because my mom started, she stopped whooping me because it stopped phasing me. Yeah. And that so happens. she started grounding me. <laughs> and that was different for me. Right, right. Isolation was weird. <laughs> like, I was like, me and my thoughts and God? Like, yeah. is, this, is, this, is this it? Is this life? <laughs> like, I mean, I thought that at an early age because I really didn't know what to do. Like, I felt like I was, you know, I, I, since I didn't have people to talk to, I felt like I was alone. Right. And as I got older and I spent more time, seeing people and reading people growing with discernment because you know discernment is a shield and it's a sword it lets you know the people that you want in your life and don't need and i had that instilled in me early on by a generation of older people who passed away before they got to see you know what it all amounted to right and they believed in me came to every play Every runway show I had, because I used to do runway modeling for Foley's as a kid as well. All the fall fashion shows, I was the kid, one of the <laughs> black kids, winking on stage, winking over there. I'm talking about in the Galleria before the fountain was put in there. Wow. I'm talking about, yeah, exactly. Like, I was one of the few kids, and my sister, she's done runway since she was like five months old or something like that. So, I mean, when I tell you, there's, you know, my sister opened that door, I want to say, too, because... She was the first one to get picked up by an agency. And they picked me up afterwards because I was outgoing and wasn't shy. And they put me with an acting coach 
And I spent 10 minutes with the acting coach and he stormed back into the agent's room like, put this kid on audition. <laughs> Why are we even talking to him? Like, so it, it just came naturally to you, right? Yes. My parents, they've always been more blown away like <laughs> by my ability. Like they never told me, you know, don't do it. We didn't seen it fail. Don't do this. Like the only person in either side of my family that's ever done anything acting wise is I have a, a uncle on my mom's side who has been acting for a long time. And he was the black guy that was in that scene with the Black Panthers on Forrest Gump when he was saying, and they do this to our women and they do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he busted it. That's my cousin. Oh, yeah, like nice. literally like on my mama's side. And he's been acting for a long time. Uh, even before that Forrest Gump, he was, you know, done commercials and stuff and been doing stuff. So uh, I'm just very new to my family, uh, especially when I moved to California to do it full time auditions. They, you know, they didn't know what to expect. <laughs> so you mentioned you were doing theater when you were a kid and then you transitioned to commercials. Um what what was that like? Was there a huge difference do, from doing, you know, camera work where you can actually cut and redo the take as opposed to theater where everyone's watching? There, there's no cut. <laughs> I, I, yes. I mean, I had to learn because I had theater teachers that were very strict. Mm -hmm. um, also, when I was a kid, I uh, was in the Debbie Allen Dance Institute and the Debbie Allen Dance Institute was like 90% uh, girls, obviously. It's a ballet. Right. And uh, learning that dance early, like doing ballet, modern, hip-hop and stuff, it helped uh, put me up, you know, way forward than most theater actors, like child actors at that time, because they'd only been doing stuff at their schools right. and no training and stuff like that. Like, I had once I had the dance, all the acting stuff was just, you know, um, whatever they needed me to do. And because I was able to reach it. Like, even... Uh, in theater, when I was in fifth grade, I was working on the middle school play, and it was all eighth graders. And I knew everybody's lines. Like, I'm talking about like a couple days into the play, to the point to where the uh, my theater teacher, the director, he put me into the play. <laughs> because the main guy who was trying to play John the Baptist was messing up. Like, and I, I knew all the lines. I knew the songs. I knew it all. He would ask me, LB, what's his line? I'd say it. And all of them get pissed off because like, <laughs> I was in fifth grade. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so they were, I mean, I, I, I dealt with bullying uh, profusely early on in my life. I did a TV show with a kid who I, you know, went to school and grew up with most of my life. Like I was in third grade and he was in six and we were on a TV show called Houston Superstars Challenge. It used okay. to come on every Saturday. It was a, a, like a reality TV show for kids where we would go to the zoo, do different tasks and stuff and answer questions and get points and prizes and stuff like that. So it was a game show pretty much. And after we did that TV show, this dude, you know, gave me the hardest time because he was, I mean, eventually I learned, you know, he was envious of, you know, how I was and my energy and who I was around other people. Cause I would never was shy. I always was happy. I never had problems with people. And sometimes people don't like that. Right. Yeah, sometimes, and I had to learn that early on, especially going from that theater to acting spaces, like to TV and stuff, because it's all egos. Like, it's all egos. Um, it is, man. It really is. Um, you you mentioned uh, bullying when you were young. Do you feel like um, the fact that you had this acting background, this entertainment background, 
it kind of helped you deal with it? You know, maybe being able to to kind of act like if it didn't bother you, or how, how did how how did you handle all that when you were well, younger? I um the. The people that I were getting put down by, because I went to an all-black private school, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a lot of us. So most of those people I'd known for so long, and I'd never met that many people outside of that bubble. So it was tough for me early on because, I, you know, I thought, well, if I can't make friends with these people here in this small space, I'll never be able to make friends with anybody anywhere in a bigger space. Right. Like, because it's like they don't even want to be around me, and I, I had to get over that when I was younger and. Only one that was able to see that difference in me over a short period of time. Like, it was a short time when I had my moral spectrum kind of turned that depressed. Like, I haven't been like that even, like, even when I was in California, I never got to that. Like, that was, this was when I was, like, 11, 10 and stuff. And so the turning point, kind of my personality, because my mom was out of town for a while. And when she came back and she looked at me she could see, you know, the difference, like, in my personality and how I was. And so one day, I came to school and regular old St. James Day, and LB come to the principal's office. Oh, okay, uh, I ain't done nothing. I don't think I, you know, need to be going to the principal's office. I come to the principal's office, and I see my friend who I did the TV show with, Mama, balls, eye, and crying. Like, she's red eyes and everything in the conference room just just crying, just, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then I look to my right down at the conference room table and I see my friend Max. And, I mean, he's, you know, crying and just sad and, you know, just mad looking. And I'm just like, well, what's going on? And my mom is sitting there at the other end of the table. I will cut this little nigga neck off and rain him and da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> like, bro, my mom is from Gary, Indiana. She is the definition of gangster. She is a fixer here in Houston that does stuff for, you know, people and businesses that no one else can do as a consultant. Okay. And so my mom has been just a hustler since day one. So when you touch her son, her child, like even my heart, she went off. And so I had that lesson early because my mom has been a fighter since day one. Like if there was anyone that you, you know, really could, look at and look at her life and a remarkable woman and a, a hustler my mama that's the thread that i'm cut from pretty much like where i get most of my personality and confidence because my mama told me since day one like look there's gonna be plenty of people out here trying to steal your thunder that's why you got to keep cracking it the loudest if you don't keep cracking it the loudest people gonna look at your sound and try to copy it that's to true copy yeah it. i mean and that's it, because it was such a small school that i grew up in not many people that I went to that school with ended up like, you know, doing super big things. Like most of those people live quiet lives. Like I'm uh, me and like a handful of people are the only ones who like went out in the world per se. Like there's people that never leave Houston, never leave Sunnyside, never leave Third Ward, never leave Texas. Like it's not everybody's destiny to leave, obviously. Right. But you want to be able to you know, make home the best home could be. Like, yeah, I think you know. I think people, it's not that they don't want to leave, but I think there's a fear. There's a fear of mm-hmm. the unknowing, you know? Yeah. And and I've always been under the perception, hey, you, you shouldn't be scared of what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's easy. That's 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 the easy way out. They're they're afraid of the unknown. They're they're unwilling to take that risk. Yeah. And the the people that make it big, the people that that get to that level, mm-hmm. they take chances. 
Yeah. You know, and, and obviously you took a chance. You know, you headed out west, out to Cali. So how old Man. were you when you went to Cali? I, I moved out there when I was 20. When you were 20? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or, yeah 20, 19 turning 20. Because I started selling cars at River Oaks Chrysler Jeep and Dodge when I was 19. And uh, that dealership has been the only regular job I've worked. Like, I worked in the parts department when I was 16, 17. And, you know, worked there for some years, graduated high school, started selling cars that, next, that weekend after graduation. And then hustled and saved up some money and then was heading out to L.A. And I'd already had, and I tell people this, you know, you shouldn't move somewhere you don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're in a, a time where we have so much technology, you can connect with somebody before you step out right. into the ocean. Like, my God, <laughs> like, stop. Because <laughs> like, people are just like, I got to go to LA. I got to go make it. You're going to smash your face into a wall. Like, literally, like, I've had family out there. My great aunt was the last nurse for Howard Hughes in the last 25 years of his life. So she was in, in rooms and around people that, you know, we, we never would have met. You know what I mean? Exactly, like, yeah. like back in the day. So she owned an apartment complex on Crenshaw and Martin Luther King. And so when I was younger, my mom and I would stay out there and I could go to as many auditions as I wanted. And as, when I moved out there on my own, I had another aunt to stay with, you know, who I didn't have to pay rent. And then I had another family who I could stay with and still go to my auditions. And majority of my auditions were in the Valley, Burbank, Studio City, like um, the ball, um, like uh, San Fernando Valley, stuff like that. And I'm going to Paramount, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Lionsgate, um, ABC Studios. Like I was going on so many different auditions because the agency that I was with was one of the top five in the world. Mm -hmm. I was represented by CESD. And they're still in the top, like top three or as far as clientele. That means that a majority of their workers, like actors, gross more than 100000 a year in work. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's impressive. That's a lot of work. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, bro, like the only way that you get in a hundred grand from a role acting wise, even on a TV show or movie, is through multiple years, like through seasons. Like you're not making a hundred thousand off of one season. Right. Like, you right. know, as a, even as a main character, you know, you know that, that's a lot. That's a, a lot of money. So uh, I always was trying to just stay consistent with my auditions. And if I was getting callbacks and three callbacks and getting to the door and the door did, wasn't open, you know, or I, I mean, I've gotten plenty of times where I got to the pinnacle of the mountain and my name wasn't there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's like that. I mean, I've had it. The college road trip movie with Martin Lawrence and Raven Simone. I had final audition for that. I read 40 pages of dialogue with Raven and producers watching, directors watching in a, a big boardroom, food on the side table and stuff so they could chill. And I asked, you know, for an hour and a half, you know what I mean? And when later that day, my mom and I are going to catch our flight to come back to Houston and they tell us that they didn't press record while we was doing wow. the dialogue the whole time. So I read 40 pages of dialogue with Raven with them in awe just watching. No, and they weren't recording. And so they brought me back in there, had me do a different script and something like that. And you know, I did as good as I could do. And they picked another kid and then they fired him and then ended up putting a producer's kid who ended up on the movie. And the movie sucked. College <laughs> Road Journey, you know what I mean? Like it was horrible. Like it tanked because they tried to 
shop it as Martin Lawrence, Raven Simone, but Raven had lost so much steam at that time for being off of that. So Raven for so long, it it just didn't stick. And I mean, another one, uh, Unaccompanied Minors. Have you ever heard of that movie? I have not. It was a movie. It was a holiday kids movie. Uh-huh. And it was supposed to be about kids stuck at the airport. And then they're, they're unaccompanied minors. Right. It came down to me at 12 against Tyler James Williams, the boy from Everybody Hates Chris. Oh, the yeah, 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 Chris. Yeah. It came down to me and him. He's, at this time, he's five and a half years older than me. Like, he's like 16, 17, and I'm 12. To be an unaccompanied minor on a plane, you got to be under 13. So when it came down to me and him, they ended up picking him because his face was more known. And, and he had already, you know, everything out. But the movie sucked because they surrounded him by a bunch of 17, 16-year-old kids who aren't accompanied, unaccompanied minors. It yeah. didn't make sense. It's, one of the, it's registered as one of the worst holiday movies of all time. And I mean, I did two final auditions for that movie. And they're like, oh, you, you got it. You got it, LB. Like, there's nobody else, da-da-da-da-da. And they ended up picking up somebody else. That's never, you know, it it makes you indecisive, but it hasn't breached my confidence. Like, I can confirm, and even during the time when it was happening, because I always had so much work. Like, I right after that, I had another audition. You know what I mean? Like, so I ain't got time to mope, right, to wait, right. or just be like, why isn't this working? Why haven't I... That time that I'm spending that, I could be learning some other scripts. I could be learning my next book role, literally. And, yeah. well, I mean, when you factor in the amount of people that are auditioning for a role with the politics of it, mm. I mean, that, that's that got to make it incredibly difficult to try there's, to, to there's get been, through that door. I, I mean, there's been auditions. The, the Shell Houston Open one, I went against 2,300 other kids. The, and they were only picking two of us. Like it was just me and a, a, a younger Mexican girl. Like we were like supposed to be. It was like it's a crazy commercial. It was supposed to be the CEO, you know, walks into this uh, near this dumpster or something, and is like, uh, "Shell is doing their best to help people in lower income neighborhoods," like type stuff. Like right. the, yeah, one of those commercials. So we just you know are behind him running in the background type stuff. And for that, I got paid um, two grand, and then for each time they played it, I got fifty cents. They played it three times. <laughs> they, they played it three times. Dollar fifty. I said no, a dollar twenty uh something, you know, taxes and oh, stuff. Oh yes. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, taxes. We'll, that's federal. But we don't have because we don't have state taxes. So right. so doing work here in Texas is great in that aspect. But yeah, I mean there's always like the checks that I was getting in California, man. I would, you know, it'd be, you know, 4,800 and then after taxes, I'm, you know, putting in 3,700. You know what I mean? Like it would be, it was horrible working out there sometimes because I was doing smaller roles, making that decent change. That was that rent money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it would just be, uh, gas was $6, $8, $7 a gallon. You couldn't move me back to California if you tied me to it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um. I guess the the reason why you went out there too is I mean because that's that's the mecca right everybody knows Cali or I may, maybe the New York like yeah. I will say that that's the only difference because it's everything's there like mm-hmm. studio wise like I mean I I feel like I could put my hand on it you know what I mean like the agency that I was with uh, they're on Santa Monica Boulevard and they used to be next to uh, Cartoon Network before they moved to Burbank and they got their own huge lot and studio but. The people that moved in after them was BET. So BET is right there next to my old agency on Santa Monica Boulevard. 
And uh, I used to go in. I had a handful of BET auditions when they first had got in there. Uh, my agency isn't it that that even though they're a big you know top three like I said in the world and stuff they don't know nothing about black people you know what <laughs> I mean like right. a, even, even BET don't know nothing about black people I, I don't want people to get it misconstrued and thinking black entertainment television is ran by black people it's not yeah, they <laughs> it's sold like, right I think they started that way but then they sold, sold. Yeah. yeah as I'm saying it was sold on top of like you don't know who is a creative director and who's doing this like things are different. Like, not, not saying that we need someone that's black, you know what I mean? Right. But it's, you know, if it's sold as something that is not, that's a problem. Like, because we, you know, know nowadays there's so much more, uh, I mean, black is selling. Like, the, right. I mean, every, everything that's a history, and Spanish and Latin, like, you know, that I mean, from the narco stuff and everything that's going on, I mean, this is... Um, it's crazy because for, um, especially when it comes to work in L.A. for blacks and Mexicans, mm -hmm. it's different you know for us in auditions because we're having people that aren't us write the roles for us mm. that we know better than they do yeah and so it's weird like because I, I mean i you know when they first had me auditioning for um i had the original script for dope uh the first draft script by forrest whitaker and pharrell okay and when i did that audition I mean, you know, I I know niggas in the hood. You know what I mean? Like I I can I can call a nigga up if you need <laughs> a nigga like to yeah. play this role. Like you don't have to just you know have me go down to this level. I more I have more capabilities than this. I I grew up watching classic Hollywood and excellent performances. Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte, Cary Grant, Lauren Bacall, Edward G. Robinson, like the hitters. Yeah, I, there's nothing. You know, there's there's not, there's nothing about me being a thespian that's needed to play a gangster. You right. know what I mean? To, to play a dude in this dope. And even if it's a story, even mm -hmm. if it's that, I just you, get somebody real. Get somebody that can do that, who is closer to that. I mean, every A-list Hollywood actor that you watch and mm -hmm. who's making the most money knows the Meisner technique, which is an acting technique that is vastly popular. What, what is that? I don't know what that is. My, Henry uh, Meisner was an acting coach that was around in the 19, uh, ooh, maybe 50s and 40s, mm -hmm. 60s, something like that, but was around for a long time and taught like that. Uh, taught, he taught a golden age of actors and it, like Meryl Streep and them caught like, I'm talking Meryl Streep caught was the last class type stuff. Like John Voight was the last class of uh, Meisner because he, uh, he died of throat cancer in his like 70s or something like that. And so... Um, toward the last 20 or 15 years of his life, he had to speak with the, the little uh, uh, yeah. microphone thing uh, on his neck. But the thing that he said that's still used today and used in every TV show and everything, acting is living truthfully in imaginary circumstances. Mm. That's all it is, like literally. Now, growing up, I never told anybody. People ask me that question you asked me. How do you do acting? How does it happen? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, I, I just do it. I've never... Right. I've never you know, had, oh, I got to, you know, use this technique for this role and that type of stuff. Like I look at a character and I'm able to, you know, put myself in his shoes. Like, like I'm looking at clothes in a store If you try it on and see how it fits on you and stuff. Anything can fit on you. You know what I mean? Like, but that doesn't mean that it's your size. Right. Like, and, and so what makes it your size and acting and how you make it fit for people to perceive is when you bring that truthful aspect to it. Like, a lot of the auditions that I had when I was growing up were Disney, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, ABC, 
over the top type stuff. Right. So like a lot of stuff where it's, you know, well, I would be doing a lot better if Carly would call me back sometime. Like that type <laughs> stuff. Like no one's gonna say that in real life that right, tall. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's gonna be like, well, I'd be doing better, you know, if Carly would give me a call back sometime. You know, like it's it's it, things are different. But, but that's what they wanted though. That's what they wrote. Right. <laughs> but they want I mean? you to deliver the yes. line that way though. Uh, well, yes, yeah, you know, like I said, you're you're right because that's how they wrote it. Mm -hmm. So like that that comes back to me saying now we're getting in some shows where there's more of us, more mm -hmm. minority, and stories are getting realer because I was auditioning for a atmosphere of TV that didn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Like by the time even because when I was uh doing a lot of auditions. Uh, toward the end of when Sweet Life was going off and Wizards of Waverly Place was going off, shows like that around, I want to say the end of like 2013, 2014, 2015, there's a lot of those shows just fell off of the wall, like as far as kids writing sitcoms. Like there's nothing that really stuck. Like, I mean, like the Hannah Montana thing was just a cash cow. Like, right. I mean, the girl was talented. Like, I mean, Hannah Montana and I had the same agent. Like Mitchell Gossett was the one who discovered him, uh, discovered her along um, while her father was on tour and stuff. And um, Demi Lovato and I had the same agent. And those two girls had, you know, I mean, they got so popular so fast, like so fast. Like, I mean, and, and it's really hard to control that type of fire and then try to tell somebody, you know, to have a serious acting career, do this or do da 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 da. Or what are your dreams and aspirations? Because this is a kid and you want them to keep making you money yeah. and you talking to them like they're a professional and stuff. And that's a kid. You know what I mean? Like when I was here working in Texas, I never got treated like an actor by the, uh, on set, like, you know, Academy commercials or Ikea commercials. And I've never had them, you know, look at me as just a talent. Like, you know what I mean? But when I got to LA, <laughs> when I started working out there, yes, you are an object. You are, you know, the help. You know, per se, like you are, I mean, you get talked to like, like Siri, you know what I mean? As an, <laughs> yeah. Like You get talked to like Siri as an actor out there uh, until you uh, have that respect, like while they respect you. Like I did a TV show uh, called Upscale with Prentice Penny and Prentice Penny is a co-creator of Insecure on HBO, the real popular show with Issa Rae. And Prentice Penny also just came out with a movie called Uncorked. On uh, Netflix. Oh, the sommelier. Him. Yes, yes, mm. and that is about um, that's about him starting his own wine company and mm. stuff, and um, you know, talking about starting your own wine company in the black community, like nigga, please, <laughs> <laughs> so, like it's just like that, like. And so, uh, when I met Prentice, they had looked at my audition for a different TV show called Fameless with David Spade, and. When I did this audition and booked that audition for uh, with David Spade, it was a TV show, and I didn't know this ahead of time. It was a TV show pranking actors, you know, thinking oh, that wow. they were making it, and you know they were just doing a you know random thing. So when they gave me the script and I had to go shoot at the set, this was like somewhere in Pomona, so like going toward the desert, like north of Los Angeles County, and. I get to this spot and I'm like, man, this ain't, you know, this is weird. Like, you know, I've, I've been doing this 20 years. So I can yeah. feel a set. I can tell who's in charge. I can tell who's happy. I, I can tell it all. And when I got onto that set, man, these people were talking to me like, 
Okay, you know, it's great to have you here now, Lawrence. Okay, now what we're going to do, we're going to put you right here. You're the prankster. You're the leader, the co-creator, da 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 I'm like, y'all talking to me like this audition, like this is, we're here, we're shooting. Yeah. You can talk to me regular, you know what I mean? You don't have to talk to me like I'm on a TV show. Right, don't talk right. to me on a TV show to the camera come on, like, and stuff like that. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't click for me yet. So, and there was this other black guy that was there who they said was... I, I mean, he. I, I ended up seeing him. He's done commercials and other stuff, but I know he was there to like mirror what I was doing. So we were both doing the same thing because he was an actor. So I know we were doing the st same stuff, but there was this one scene that they set me up for. I was going into this dinosaur museum. Uh, bones everywhere. Like, imagine a regular, like, pop-up dinosaur museum. Mm -hmm. And just in a regular space in a random, like, um, uh, center, some strip center. So... We go in here and, well, they show me at first and they're like, okay, you're going to come in here in a dinosaur suit because we're going to have a bunch of people in here looking at all the dinosaur art and stuff. And you're going to yell, dinosaurs are real and they, you know, are still around and da 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 random. And you're going to run around and scare people and stuff. And as they're telling me this, you know, it's clicking in my head. I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, this isn't. You know, this ain't where David Spade. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where's David? Like, the whole time I'm shooting this shit, I'm like, where is David? Like, I haven't seen my brother. Like, what is going on here? So, I get in the dinosaur suit, and I, you know, they let some people in there, random people, and then they, you know, ready, set, action. I run into this, you know, dinosaur setting stuff, going crazy, saying random stuff. Oh, hey, y'all, dinosaur's coming back. Like, oh, don't worry about it. Like, I run in, and they, I mean, there's a, a security guy, like, looking at me crazy, like, what are you doing? Da, 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 da. And, like, I, I looked him in his eyes, and this was when the real discernment happened, because I'm like, I sure ain't going down for this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm looking him in his eyes, like, is this a joke? Yeah, this is a joke. Like, I look, I just needed to register for a second. Like, yeah. I was like, if this was real, he would have been throwing me to the ground. Right. So after that, I I hit, you know, the next ceiling, I'm pushing over bones, I'm doing stuff. And, you know, it was crazy. And they afterwards, you know, they say, hey, look, you know, it's OK because you're on Fameless, you know, with David Spade and you've been pranked. And they, they tell me that and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, come on. Like, you know, I give a, a good reaction and stuff, but I was hip to it the whole time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I knew something just wasn't right. Let alone, what the fuck is David Spade? Like, that was, that was my whole purpose. And. After I shot that man, they didn't even they didn't use my episode. They ended up having a girl do the whole like the whole the thing. Whole over, thing. Yeah. yeah, it was a girl. They used a girl's sketch for that. So they did the they set it all you know set it all back up. Maybe had the girl come an hour later or something or two hours later and boom. And that's what they used for the episode. Now I got paid. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's not free labor. Uh, but that's happened to me plenty of times where I've done a pilot where I've shot something that you know didn't get seen or didn't get you know shown. And I can say that I did it and got paid for it, but yeah, man, that's, that's <laughs> fucking Hollywood, man. It's, you know, you were you were talking about earlier about how they have they have these shows that are written by people that don't know what the hell they're talking about. It's almost like they have this template. Mm -hmm. um, but now things are kind of changing, and I think one of the reasons is because back in you know before you had. You didn't have as many outlets, right? Yeah. Now you have Netflix and Amazon, mm -hmm. Apple. Mm -hmm. um, you, not only that, you have Instagram, yeah. websites. Yeah. So now, really, if you want to make a show, you can make a show. 
You yeah. don't, you don't need Hollywood anymore, yeah. right? It's it's yeah. it's and not only that, but even even all these uh all these outlets, all these uh platforms, they need content. This is true. And so now you have so much crazy content and mm-hmm. a lot of the content is is created by real people. Oh yeah. And people are and and that those content that that those uh shows made by real people are making money. People are watching them because yeah. it's real. Yeah, they appreciate people, it. People nowadays can't take too much uh, fabricated uh, stories and stuff like that because it's just. I mean, I was telling somebody about the you know birth of reality TV becoming a part of the standard of TV. I don't know in a sense because you know people. It's always something different every year. Like reality TV wise, like a lot of people keep up with those little people mm-hmm. lives right now and. Uh, I mean, you know, shoot, we're way past um, the um, love and hip hop guy. They got 50 different cities. You know what I mean? They do it like, and it's just the stuff that's happening on there is stupid. You know what I mean? Like it's stupid. Most of these reality TV shows that people are watching are retarded. They're stupid. There's no premise to it. It is all drama. It is all fabricated scripted. Like I've been in the reality TV stuff. When I was doing Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, even the first season, they had, you know, kids that they selected to be on the show, obviously, to compete. And but it wasn't a contest. You know what I mean? Like these kids were actors. <laughs> like, right. You know what I mean? Like, but people's are, you know, perceiving it as, as something else. So it's I, I, I have a short um, attention span for it because I feel like I'm watching it behind the camera. Like when I'm watching reality TV or when I'm watching this, I'm like, OK, well, that took a couple takes. Or, you know, oh, God, they wanted to get that done. You know what I mean? Like, they just was like, okay, let's get out of here. Let's finish that. Like, you can tell. Like, even watching it. Like, I can... It's it's almost like I'm, you know, like I said, behind the camera. And that's helped out with me a lot more uh, in front of it. Because being behind the camera and working those behind the scenes has helped me become a better actor. I've started doing that... Um, uh, when I uh, got into film school, I got... Uh, I started going to film school a year and a half after I was in L.A. And the film school that I went to was called the International Academy of Film and Television. And uh, it was a small trade, you know, school, film school type thing, so a two-year program. And I was the youngest one in the school, uh, but I had the most experience in the field, uh, in my field. Uh, Everybody else there, like the closest person to my age, was like I think like 32. You know what I mean? Like everybody was old. Like And so... When I was there, it was easy for me to work with people there because I wasn't shy and I knew what they needed help with. Like I was looking at people struggling with the simplest of stuff, you know, that I could, you know, I'll, man, you're, you're confusing yourself. You know what I mean? Like I tell people that you have to, some people have to hear that before they can take a couple steps back from how far they've, you know, uh, learned something because they really could be better at it if they learned it their way. Right. I mean, like it's, you know, people try to learn stuff the way that other people have learned it. And that's not always going to teach you. And and you had that experience. So Mm -hmm. you've you been there, done that. So you're able to bring this perspective, kind of show them the light. Yeah. And I had I had people, too, that I was uh, growing up with who I had the same agent with who were, you know, booking big roles. Like I used to be um, there was a kid last name Canterbury is um, uh, Chandler Canterbury. And he was the boy off of you remember the knowing with Nicolas Cage, yeah. the son that was on there. That's my friend uh, Chandler. I've known Chandler since he was a baby because his uh, older brother 
did a Space Center Houston commercial with okay. me for the Grossology thing. You know the Grossology commercial mm-hmm. I posted? Yeah. So he did the white version and I did the black version. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we were like, that's my day one. And Chandler, he... Once he booked, um, he booked an independent Sundance film or something when he was a kid, and they saw that performance, and I mean, he got booked on the Knowing. He got, he was getting, you know, up, like literally. When I tell you, they were rolling out the red carpet for Chandler to be the next big kid drama actor, you know, can cry on cue, real, because Chandler was just, I mean, his ability was crazy. But Chandler, as a kid, was. Like, his his personality wasn't all the way formed. So, like, his confidence would be lacking. And if he didn't want to do something, he wasn't going to do it and ain't going to do it. And that's not how Hollywood works. Right. They don't, they're not running on your time. They're not running with you. So, he po- he poofed up, you know, all that smoke. You know, like, and I mean, they, when I tell you his, because his mama's told me about this. I mean, Chandler was supposed to be, like, known, you know, right now, like, uh, famous, like, because he had so much work that they wanted him for, and his agent in L.A. was already booking him on it. And, I mean, I'm talking about this dude was going in tanking auditions. Like, you don't do that shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't go into an audition that someone's booked you for as a child, and I don't care about this or da-da-da-da-da or do da 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 I mean, my God. <laughs> like, yeah. I, if, if I even thought about something like that, I feel like my mama would hit me with that Thanos, like, snap. Like, <laughs> you'd just see me just dust and start falling off of me and stuff. Like, I I never would think of doing something like that, let alone I wouldn't do that to my agent. Because I've always had a female representation, too, when it's come to my acting and auditions. Like, women are going to cut for you a whole lot different in life than men. And in this industry, that female, uh, I mean, that female knowledge and that female wisdom is, it, it, it helps out because they, uh, they can shop you a whole lot better than, you know, than some people. You know, I, that's just from my experience. Like when I tell you, because the only male that I've had represent me was the uh, Mitchell Gossett with CSD and he was the vice president over casting. But my old manager, uh, Tina Treadwell, she used to be vice president over Disney's casting. So she casted even Stevens, Boy Meets World, Proud Family, you know, stuff like that back in the day. And so she was having me go on auditions for, uh, you know, black projects that were big at the time and stuff. And uh, I mean, you, I mean, you know, I've, I've had her, you know, I did, uh, I went into an audition one time. She sent me the wrong script. Now, the, yeah, it's, it, yeah. So but she got multiple clients and all that stuff. But damn, you know, it's like, yeah, I, you know, like it's like, it's like, it's like, damn. Okay, so I was doing the wrong script in there, and so she came and brought the right script, obviously, and was apologizing and telling the lady and stuff, my bad, and da 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 da. Now, you know, that was a mess up, but you know, she, you know, was trying to make the best of it or whatever. But also, she had another one of her clients audition for the same role, so. And that, you know, the thing with that was like, because we connected on a family level and stuff. So in the industry, I had to learn that there's people that you can treat like family and that'll be your family. And there's others that'll, you know, maybe treat you like family, but they that doesn't mean that they believe it's your family. Or right, they, right. That they would cut for you like they would somebody else that they're connected with better. Like I had um, only two acting coaches I worked with when I was in L.A. that I, you know, to this day, you know, they, they my, those my uncles, John Kirby and John Homer. John Kirby is the younger brother to Bruno Kirby, who was in City Slickers, Godfather 2, 
Um, was in a bunch of stuff back in the day. Bruno Kirby was a real big actor. His father, uh, Jack Kirby, has been in a bunch of stuff. I mean, he was in, um, I mean, westerns and gangster movies back in the day. Back in the day, mm-hmm. and I mean, he was in, uh, he was on Golden Girls even on a couple episodes. Like this dude used to be famous. Um, if you remember the movie Crash, oh yeah, um, remember when Matt Damon, uh, not uh, Matt Damon, Matt Dillon, or whatever that dude's name, um, Dylan, Matt Dillon, yeah, Matt Dillon. His dad had prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad, that's uh, John Kirby's father. Oh, okay. Yeah, so him, that older guy, like literally, I got to meet him. I had dinner with him. He was a, you know, he's a big guy, strong Italian accent. You are. Uh, you're here from Houston, uh, do all these auditions and whatnot, I hear and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm trying to, you know, come out here, be the next, uh, like, I used to tell people I want to be the next Kel. Like, you know, from Keenan and Kel. Kel like, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Kel was one of my big, big inspirations. Whatever as happened a kid. to Kel? Like, Kel? I know Keenan oh, made it. Kel, Kel is still working. Okay. Like, I mean, he, he gave his, uh, he devoted his life to Christ, so he's more like okay. uh, the cleaner stuff. Like, but he's comedy wise, ne- ha- never missed a beat. The only difference in why Kel was so popular and his light was so brighter than Keenan's twosome was because Kel was just more outgoing and silly and, you know, like that was just his personality. That, that never meant Keenan wasn't funny. You know what I mean? That never meant he wasn't as shoppable or anything like that. And you could tell that by how he did, you know, with SNL. I mean, Kel, uh, Keenan is... Kenan has his own show on NBC called Kenan now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no one could have ever imagined, you know, 15 years from now, 10 years from then, that Kenan would have his own name show on a network television before Kel. You know what I mean? Like, right. no one, if that would have happened when Good Burger came out, like, you know what I mean? Like, people would be like, why is Kenan getting a show? Yeah, I would definitely <laughs> thought Kel was funnier. Exactly. During the, during the, when they were together. Exactly. But in the grand scheme, you know, it's, it, I mean, it takes more work put in because you're never done learning. You're never done uh, conquering characters. You can, constantly do auditions you can constantly find a job to work on like acting shouldn't be something that you ever stop doing like anybody that's an actor and isn't working when i'm talking to them is you know just trying to be an actor yeah (laughs) they're just trying to be an actor. that doesn't make you one i mean because you you can put the work in and that's the only way that you're going to get noticed that's the only way that i mean people only see that like you got people that are cinderella stories they exist I promise you, a casting director could see you at a Starbucks and think you're perfect. But do you want to, you know, find the needle in the haystack or do you want to be moving haystack? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Ranch Houston, compromise of Ashe Yoga and Wellness, The Garden Project, and The Mill HTX is an intentional conscious organization created for adults to connect to an inclusive community through art, food, nature exploration, and movement and for school-aged children to empower themselves through education on sustainability and edible gardening. It is run by Tamika Kasten-Miller and Lenny Kasten-Miller. Highly recommend it. Y'all go get your stretch on, get your garden on, and uh, yeah, just go out there and meet some good people and have a great time. We are also brought to you by Apparel Up, the leading custom apparel provider in Houston, Texas. They help customers represent their brand correctly with high-quality, long-lasting custom apparel. Whether you're in need of embroidered scrubs for your medical practice, embroidered polos for your nationwide enterprise, or screen-printed shirts for your sports team, they got you covered. They are dedicated to providing you the highest quality of screen printing and embroidery service. Run by the very talented Jennifer Franco. Get your embroidery on from Apparel Up. 
Yeah, and it's like we were saying earlier with the fact that now, um, you know, there's so many platforms and you can create your own platform. You know, if you feel like, you know, nowadays, man, like with technology, you know, you can get a nice camera for a couple grand, um, you know, get a nice boom mic and all of a sudden you can shoot your own movie. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and good quality movies like shit that you see in the theater. Yeah. You know, and the hardest part for people nowadays is just be rendering. I mean, shooting in hard and stuff, but my, when it comes to audio and visual, people just are, um, you know, they're working their way, getting better with the editing of it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, and they, and you know, they they it it takes a little bit of knowledge to to kind of know the mic placement, yeah, camera placement, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Trial and, and error. Exactly. You know what I mean, like I tell people because auditions wise, you know, I had to. Um, I know, you know, well, where I've been in auditions where I tried something that, uh, you know, they weren't looking for. And then I was able to flip it and give them what they were looking for. Like, because it's a spectrum sometimes. Like, I had um, this Gatorade commercial that I did uh, for Pepsi for the Super Bowl with Cam Newton. And I booked it, like, in, I, like, I booked it, like, I booked it on a Thursday and shot it on that next Tuesday type shit. And uh, I went to this, you know, amazing studio in Santa Monica. I mean, I'm talking about this is the shit that the motherfucking rappers walk into yeah. type shit. And I mean, they got they got food over here. I mean, chef cooking over there. Sir, what do you want? Da, 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 da. I'm like, look, this all this all looks so expensive. I don't need nothing. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to record this job. I ain't even getting paid for it until a couple more months. So yeah. I mean, this this place it, it feel expensive to breathe in here. And man, I get I get into the studio, and two guys sit down and they pop on. Um, this huge screen and um, um, they say they didn't tell me this I was on Skype with like you know uh, 20 different Pepsi executives you know just watching and listening at the same time of what I was going on so they were just like no biggie 20 executives like that I was like well I mean I don't care whether you know if they're listening or not so uh, let's you know get it over with and the line for that was you know a real simple one like it was just like a graphic of Cam Newton jumping over when the Texans game when he did that little touchdown, so he jumped over a couple of Texans. So it was just um, some say superheroes don't exist, that men cannot fly, no cape crusader to save the day. Maybe they just never saw what we saw. Oh, that like, was you? Yeah, I'm saying like <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I did that. You know, on my my the first audition of it, I did it. You know, just like that. And when I was in the studio, I did it probably like twice and they use that one you know what i mean like and that so i spent like 15 minutes in there 10 minutes in there and they was just like oh my god and your voice was heard by millions it's the super bowl well well, look 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 here's what happened here's what happened this was supposed to be an ad for espn and for the internet so this was going to be like internet strict but if cam won they would have oh. bought it. It would have been a buyout of thirty grand. They would have played it on every network. It would have been. So I just needed that bitch ass nigga <laughs> to win the fucking Super Bowl. I wasn't even paying attention to football like that at that time. And Cam Newton got his ass whooped. And I By mean, the Broncos, I believe. That shit pissed me off so bad, man. Because I mean, that commercial was. Ah, uh, I was like, it's like. Oh, it was such a, it pissed me off because I, 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 you know, there was nothing I could do. Right. Like, right. like there was no, I, I, it'd be different if I could have changed it. Like, I did my best. Like, and all he had to do was win the fucking game. <laughs> like, and Cam News could do that, man. Because after that, 
I um I mean I had a couple other voiceover auditions, but I hadn't be, I hadn't booked any voiceovers as big as that. Like that yeah. was a big one because Pepsi and stuff, man. Like them, that check was quick. <laughs> you know, like you know what I mean? Like that just was uh, two and a half weeks later, three and a half yeah. weeks later. Like um, so we kind of talked a little bit about it in the beginning, you know, about you know obviously what a terrible year twenty twenty was, COVID and everything. Um, can you just talk a little bit about like like how it kind of affected you personally and and what you did during that time. Uh, I know like for me, it was a lot of mental strain, not being able to go out. You talked about being very outgoing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, how, what did you do to cope with all that? Well, I spent a lot of last year uh, preparing for the elections. Uh, definitely, because, excuse me, there was local, there was local elections I was working on and uh, national elections I was uh, paying attention to. Uh, because my mom is very politically active. So, and this is, you know, from the beginning of the year, obviously, to the end. So, um, elections I was worried about. I had got full wisdom teeth pulled last year. Uh, that hurt. Oh, yeah. It, it, oh, I, had, I had one pulled. That shit hurts. I mean, I had, when I got them pulled, they uh, ripped my nasal cavity Oof. on, like, my left side. So, like, they had to stitch glue that. And, Lord have mercy, I was walking around looking like chipmunk. <laughs> and it was, that was tough. But I, um, I, you know, most of the year was just spent to like, I, I mean, time wasted. You know what I mean? Like, I only say time wasted because shit, we were sitting around. Everybody was sitting around. Yeah. But I was, um, I, I say time wasted playing video games only. Like I was, um, there was a game that I was playing called um, Smite. Uh, I mean, I still play Smite a lot. It's a MOBA game. I uh, play Mobile Legends and just uh, a lot of MMOs, MOBAs and stuff like that. And those games are time consuming. Yeah. So <laughs> like we're talking about, you know, 5v5, 45 minutes, you know, 5v5, you know, 35 minutes. So like I was spending a lot of time playing those. Uh, I spent even more time doing um, my auditions and stuff like I was doing theater full time. Uh, I had had like, cause what they, it was like March 16th or something when they shut everything down initially. And like, I had book, I had three elementary school performances, you know, like already set to happen at, before that. And after that, you know, they sent all the kids, you know, nobody's in schools and stuff anymore. Cause I work for the uh, touring education program for the ensemble theater. Mm -hmm. So whenever we go to schools and do plays and stuff, I'm, I'm doing, I'm there. Like, and we just started back up about, like, two weeks ago. But uh, I remember you were saying also, you know, I don't think we were on the air yet. Um, you are doing auditions now through through Zoom, right? Through yeah. Teams. Yeah. And, and how different is that to have to do it like that? The auditions nowadays that are just virtual um, are as best as you can make them because... Even, you know, I've been doing uh, tapes auditions since I was in, high, uh, like, high school, a teenager. Right. Um, I'm not new to it because, you know, even when I was in high school, I had to submit, you know, tape and stuff. Like, and I remember, you know, stuff like some studios would only take it. Uh, they wouldn't do email. You know, they'd ask for a CD of a, like, video or right. thing. Like, even, like, I remember even those times. And that... Uh, for things to be where they are now, 
I I don't want to panic and say that they're horrible because it is, you know, more comfortable for the casting director in a sense, not having to see 50 people in a day and then a hundred emails. Like, but now they got to look at a thousand emails. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's, it's different, but I think that it is an opportunity to, um, sell yourself better. Uh, I mean, I've had obviously casting directors that are saying now you have to do some shit to separate you in your video. Like you have to do something like, cause if not, you know, they're just going to watch you and be uninterested in the first five seconds, like first 10 seconds, like an, a, a, a casting director, a season one knows if you're castable or if you're good for the role in the first, like 15 seconds, like 20 seconds, like they'll determine that from your name, age and all that and stuff. Like even like, cause before you speak the script, and maybe change how they feel, you know, because of how you can do the script or something like that. They, you know, they have their mind made up. Like, I mean, it's a casting director, man. It's, they have to look at a bunch of more people. So they also don't have their mind made up sometimes until they're done seeing everybody. You know what I mean? Like, so you think you knocked it out of the park, but they, you know, they have to take their time and look at a thousand more emails. Like, Is so, the casting director... I guess he's not the director of the actual whatever if it's a sh- the casting director is hired to find the talent and the casting director has the most important you know job next to uh the director because they find the talent hmm. and they sign off on it you know what I mean like if somebody's not work withable or something didn't work out casting director doesn't represent them but they look back at it like you know he may have had the ability but his personality wasn't there like type right. thing. So they're just there to verify your ability, like that you can do something or that. This guy's look, I'm I'm telling you. Like yeah. it, it, that I'm I'm on I'm on the payroll. I'm telling and who, you. Who does like, who works who does a casting director work for? The producer or the director? Or how they do, uh well it's both. The, both. the casting director is brought on by the studio. Oh, the studio okay. is the studio pays for the studio pays for everything. Uh, like the studio is the budget. They pay for the director. Yeah, they, they, the, the studio yeah. is the budget. So casting directors, like you're not going to usually even have a casting director unless the film can you know, afford, afford one. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like that's, you don't have independent films. Well, you know, if you do an independent film and you, you know, want to make a random uh, hot dog stand TV show or something and you find a guy on the street, a homeless dude, and say, hey, you want to make this homeless <laughs> you're, you're being a casting director. <laughs> yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Like, that doesn't make you a good boy. Right, right. That's, that's casting. Yeah. Like, all casting is is, you know, picking somebody for a role. I've been a casting director before. <laughs> like, it's, But that, that, like you were saying earlier, it, it does take a certain type of eye. Oh, yeah. To yeah. be able to identify and to be able to, you, first of all, you kind of ha- you have to have a good understanding of what the script wants, of what mm-hmm. the project is about, right? Exactly. And then, you know, you have it in your head, okay, I don't know who, but I have an idea. Then you see somebody, you hear them talk, and you're like, that's it. That's that's the and like you said, usually it happens really quickly, right? I've had um the first casting director I auditioned for here in Houston, who's like my auntie, her name is Karen Gourmet, and she is, you know, straight, no chaser, like sounds red. Yeah, your child doesn't have a future in Hollywood. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah, yeah, like she is cutthroat. And I mean, since day one. I'm telling you, I've had days when I was a teenager, I was spending three hours, two hours with Miss Karen going over scripts and stuff. And each, you know, each version of the script or, you know, scene that I was doing, she would let me know if it was, you know, good or not, like, or sounded red or not. Like, just by, because, like, I'll give you a, a monologue I've had known most of my life. This was for, like, a 
it was for I think when uh, Nickelodeon was trying to come up with some TV show similar to Ned's Declassified. It was some kind of sitcom type thing, but I don't I don't know if they ever picked it up. But I said something like, um, "Hey guys, uh, do you think that Kelly Kimball would ever go out with me? I mean, I know she's the head cheerleader and that she's a lot older than me, but I sort of get the feeling that she might like me. You know, if I ever talk to her. That's because when I was at the food court, I noticed that she ordered a tofu bowl from the Chinese place, and I always order the tofu when I'm at that Chinese place. So maybe, just maybe, because we're both into it, uh, we might hit it off. You know, like a boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, my mom always says. The quickest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And because we're both into it, I think we may be able to. So I, I still remember that audition because I did it like a hundred times, you know, trying to get it right, uh, getting the inflections right on each one. And Miss Karen will let me know, like, okay, sounds red. Uh, um, mm -mm, no, uh -uh. <laughs> like she would because she was seeing for some stuff like she every academy commercial that you saw before 2013 was cast about miss karen gourmet like most of them a majority so i've seen her you know look at some kids and stuff i've seen her look at a mama and the mama was trying to i, I think the mama was trying to say something about miss karen or something to the child it, like near miss karen so she was like oh don't worry about her sweetie she thought it out of die miss karen uh is this your child Okay, yeah, she can leave. You can leave. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like that type of shit. Like, man, is you know what I mean? Like, you can't. You got to think about this stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just messed up your child's audition with that little thing. Like, you could have just been quiet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this, it's it, it's crazy because even sometimes when she's turned people's kids away and said, no, they're not right for this. They, you know, the, people have something to say after that. You tell them their kids can't do something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's like you said that if if that person has an eye. Yeah, Miss Karen has an eye. Like, she was able to see me, you know, from early. Like, even she'll say to this day, I don't understand how LB doesn't have a TV show. Like, right now. Like, I mean, he's phenomenal. Like, he's been like that since day one. I don't understand it. Hollywood is retarded. Those people are crazy. <laughs> They're full of themselves. <laughs> like, literally. Like, and that's how people have to look at it. Because I've never wanted to be famous. The first thing I told to the casting director when he asked me in that show, Houston Open audition, uh, what do you want to get out of acting? I told him, I said, I want everybody to know my name, LB, just simple, like, and know my ability, like, that I can, I have this work ethic and I can do this stuff. Like, I, it's not fabricated. I'm not boasting about it. I'm not uh, even trying to be better than the next guy. I'm me. <laughs> like, the only people that I, you know, want to uh, be like and are inspired by are the people I grew up watching. Like I said, the Sidney Portiers, the... Uh, Edward G. Robinsons, those guys were doing stuff in Hollywood in the time where people of that color weren't accepted to have those type of uh, achievements and have those type of roles. Like I, re I recall recently TCM was talking about when Sidney Poitier slapped a white man because he called him boy. And it, you know, sent ripples into the United States. Like, you know, people were ready to boycott the movie, you know what I mean? Like, all that type of stuff. Just because he, like, the dude, because he was a detective. Okay, you know the, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Yeah, yeah. That role, that role. And so, uh, the I don't know, it was a, a guy in a random shop or something, he said, oh, oh what do you say, boy? And he, boom, 
Like he slaps immediately, and the and the cop that's standing there is just in shock. And the guy's like, "What well, are you gonna arrest him?" <laughs> and, and the dude is like, "He had, he didn't commit a crime." Like it's just it was a moment. Like right. and he walks out and stuff. Like nobody and um uh uh see, um Harry Belafonte, you know, daylight come on everyone. Yeah. Harry Belafonte, you know, he has films of Ruby D, you know, as the love interest. Like they were the main ones. Those when they first was doing the movies in color and they were really nice and stuff like those were the staples for what I grew up watching. Like my parents have always uh, had the remote. <laughs> so I was always watching what they were watching from uh, Casablanca to in the heat of the night. Um, guess who's coming to dinner? Um, Untouchables, you know, uh, Immortals, you know, movies like that. Like uh, I grew up watching those gangster movies. Like I said, like, Edward G. Robinson and James Cagney type stuff. And those gangster movies set me apart in my auditions early too because a lot of those gangster films originally were the first times that they were using um, close-ups. You know, and, and the close-ups that they were doing, you know, you had to be big, let alone to get a close-up. Right. You know, let alone um, to carry the movie. Uh, it just would be so much different. Uh, you have to have a lot going on, like in, in the character, in your faces, and t different changes. Like the reason why, um, if you remember Looney Tunes and stuff, when they would have the real people on there, all, every real person that's ever been on Looney Tunes was like a famous celebrity. You know right. what I mean? Like so, they had characterized on there. The what we gonna do today, boss? Or what we gonna do? Shut up! Like you already know what we're gonna do. The regular, da, 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 da. like that was supposed to be a parody of Edward G. Robinson, like his gangster form and stuff. Because he used to talk a certain way, mm -hmm. and they used to, oh, we're gonna get out of here with these cops and stuff running around. Like that's just how they were in that time. And uh, James Cagney was the same thing. Like, hmm, you guys think that you're gonna come in here and do that to me? Like, yeah, like <laughs> that was just that, uh, that they they had that whole generation under they like in their hands like any role that they touched was great you know what i mean like and, and they were marveled as such like now i didn't know these people personalities obviously but they laid down that foundation for me growing up because i the performances were great like i mean i, I these movies i mean i can make you a list you know what i mean like a real list of movies with performances that are that are different. Like I'm not talking about just Oscar winning movies or you know Academy Award winning films. I'm talking about stuff with people with performances, like people that left it all on the camera. Yeah. I'm talking about like even afterwards, you know, stories, people clapping afterwards, type stuff. Like there's um, have you ever heard of a movie called Rat Race? Yeah, yeah. That, that has Mr. Bean in it, right? Yes, yes. So Rat Race is supposed to be a parody not parody it's supposed to be a, a copy of an old movie called it's a mad 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 world and in it's a mad 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 world there is a guy who um has like a million dollar bond or something or 500 million dollars i don't know and uh he sets a race for people to try to you know get the money or whatever or not and you have every celebrity you know famous person like comedy wise on that movie like i mean from uh, paul mooney's to the uh i mean not paul mooney um uh that, i mean i could name you 50 different people on that movie like because it's it's a long like list of just comedians like it was funny people lucille ball was in it this was in the like late 70s uh, uh early 70s late 60s because 
the people that were in this, like Don Knotts was in it, but this was in the in later years and right. stuff. Like it was, uh, it was a huge movie. It had, you know, it, it got great reception, but it wasn't one of those, like they didn't even have to write a big script for it. You know what I mean? Like the script for that movie was less than like 70 pages. Like, and that's for the cast and how many people was in that? It was all slapstick humor. You know what I mean? Like that movie was, uh, the slapstick humor that was going on in that was like the golden age. Um, uh, you remember the guy from the 1930s? Uh, 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 Chaplin? Yes. Yeah. Chaplin was in it. Um, what's his name? There was uh, Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton was in it. He was the famous one. Buster Keaton is the one that did that. Remember when the house falls down and then the window's just there and the guy's yeah, standing yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton also the one when the train's running and he grabs it with one hand and he's on it. That's Buster Keaton. Now, Buster Keaton, he was in this movie. And it's a mad, mad, mad world. But he was way older. But this movie was the, like, every famous person, comedian. That's why Rat Race was hilarious to me. Like, I, I grew up watching it because Rat Race was all the comedians and stuff at that time. That was funny. Like, honey, we've got to go. we got to go on this drive so we can win this money. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then you had, had Whoopi Goldberg, and I mean, there was so many funny people. I'm going to win. I'm yeah, trying yeah. to win. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Like that movie was, uh, it was just as silly as the It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. But if you watch It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, it's just as funnier, if not funnier, than Rat Race. Like, so watch that movie. I mean, that that was one of them, too. Like, I, I grew up, like I said, my parents, they laid down that foundation with those classic movies and TV shows. Like, I didn't even watch... Um, like shows like Martin and like Fresh Prince, I, I I watched them, but I that was before my time. You know what I mean? Like I was young. Like I'm born in '95, yeah. so watching Fresh Prince or stuff like that, like it, the comedy would have been a little over my head because right. I was just young. So I had to go back and watch that stuff, like and then understand why. Oh, okay, this shit is funny. Like you know, <laughs> this shit. Is, like I didn't know why Bro Man from the Fifth Floor was funny. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know why. Um, you know, um, like stuff from one on one or uh, my wife and kids or living single. Like I didn't I, I just hadn't watched shows like that because I was watching other stuff. Like I grew up watching Frasier, King of Queens, Seinfeld, um, The Office. Like it's still good stuff. Oh, yeah. Good, good stuff, but way different. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's like the um, if you ask somebody. You know, do they like uh, Martin or do they like Frasier? Do they like King of Queens? Those are three different people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, or even are, like Seinfeld, like, too. It's, yeah. like, it's all different. Well, because like, like Frasier, the comedy that's on Frasier is, you know, sophisticated. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's way sophisticated comedy. Like you can't just play that for somebody, even the funniest episodes, and they get it. Um, shows like... Um, the Bernie Mac show like was one of my favorites because I love Bernie Mac. But I mean, Bernie Mac was... I mean, my heart, comedian-wise, like, I'm, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. <laughs> I got I, I pull my shit out of this whole room go black. Like, he just was, I mean, he did that shit in Def Comedy Jam, you know, in that room full of nothing. That's an, that's an audition. You know what I mean? Like, and that's how you book an audition, like what he did. Like, on that first Def Comedy Jam when he came on stage, that colorful suit, like, from then on, I mean, I mean, he was already known in the circuit and stuff, obviously, with stand-up, like, because... I started doing stand-up comedy uh, my second year living in L.A. And it was a challenge for me to ch uh, take on because I've always known I was funny. But it's different being funny, you know, on cue yeah. and with everybody who don't know you watching. And my first time doing it was, I mean, I got a lot of laughs. I did great. Like, the place that I was at, I just stuck to, you know, my guns. I was like, okay, 
I'm looking at everybody around in here, and a lot of y'all are some old motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm the youngest one in here. <laughs> I am of age to drink, but uh, looking at this, all y'all got to go to work tomorrow, <laughs> and y'all y'all are really overdoing it right now. Like, and I mean, it was like it was just I, it was natural. Like, I didn't have anything written. Like, so I was literally going off of my head, off of the top, and. I you know I wasn't scared because I was like you know shit worst thing to do they kill the mic take the mic off yeah, I don't give a fuck about nobody you know what I mean like yeah like so I'm never you know shaky nervous hands wet nothing nothing I tell people um, the only you know the only person that's nervous is you yeah I mean you know the only difference between Hercules and a cat is that you know Hercules so big and so confident. On the on the face that we don't know how he's feeling inside. That doesn't mean that he's not nervous. That doesn't mean that he's not fearful to lose. Like Mike Tyson is a dog. Is <laughs> a, a dragon. You look at Mike Tyson, you you're scared. Yeah. But but Tyson feels fear. Like he said it. He speaks. He's very vulnerable. He speaks it constantly. And it's like your vulnerability is either going to be your Achilles heel. Or your, you know, your bicep. Like it is, it, you have to, uh, you have to hone it because people are always going to be um, trying to trump your life so they can manipulate where they can to elevate their own. And if you don't uh, learn to prioritize your time for yourself, you know, to have that discernment. You're, you know, people walk all over you in any industry. I mean, in the entertainment industry and in, um, modeling and dance and music, like people are trying to set themselves on top of other shoulders, you know, to make things easier. And if you are trying to be everything that you can be in yourself, you have to constantly keep looking at the mirror. Uh, my dad is not a comedian. He's not that funny. Uh, <laughs> but he... <laughs> There's one joke that he sticks to and he always tells me. And he's like, you want to hear a joke? Look in the mirror. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I mean, it's just, you know, it's something that it's, it can always be funny because it can be, the perception of it can go anyway. Yeah. It's the mirror. <laughs> it's, the, it's the mirror. Like, you know, you can tell somebody to look in the mirror. You don't know what they're going to see. Yeah. They're like, you know, what they're going to think about. Like, yeah. So 2020 is over. We're now almost into March. What do you, what do you have planned for this year? What were some goals, some some things you want to get done on this new year? Uh, the main goal this year has just been uh, independent revenue. Uh, I historically have not liked money. I I just don't. I I've never had a love for it. I hate it. Uh, I think it's the worst. You know, one of the worst creations on our planet or in existence along with colonialism and a bunch of other stuff because money just makes life, you know, so much more ugly. Um not resources, but money. Right, right. Like yeah, like and but you need money to survive. And so I wanted to focus this year on revenue, uh, so I could, you know, be on my own too. I've always been with my family, uh, besides when I lived in California. Uh I just, you know, I because I, I I have a lot that I want to create and I need my own space for that. And so it's really, I, I'm trying to create my own space this year. Excuse me, because I haven't, 
I haven't had it in two or three years uh, since I haven't had my apartment. And when I had my apartment, I was able to write more. I was able to just do more because I'm on my own, too. I mean, you know, it's just how it is. Like, it ain't never going to be no love loss in my family or anything like that. It's just, I, you know, I got to get out in the world <laughs> so I can be that blessing that God wants me to be. I've always kept, you know, God close in my life. I grew up in the church. Uh, I have a lot of people that, you know, used to want me to be a preacher. Uh, I mean, because I used to lead a boys' choir, about 16 of us, and we used to sing gospel music and go to different churches and sing and stuff. And uh, it was like a, a boys' choir where we, like, taught etiquette and stuff mainly, like, and on top of singing. Like, we just was, uh, here's a, how you be a gentleman, like, and take care of your stuff. And we tried to teach even a little bit of financial literacy to them kids and stuff. But I wanted to, you know, make sure that everything that I've uh, lived through is put into the new things that I create. Like, because I, I don't want it to be forgotten. Like, I still have stuff that I went through and people that were intricate to me being me who I don't want their memories to, you know, go away. Like, even though they're not here, like, and nobody knows them. Like, there were people, like I told you, even before uh, before 2006, I lost, like, eight people in a three-year span that were just intricate to me being me. And uh, I think that in this new millennia, in this just next 30 years, 20 years, I get older, I'll be able to uh, use everything that they taught me even better than I have uh, in my life because I can help it. I can help other people by teaching them what has been taught to me. I mean... Because you need older people in your life. <laughs> like, people, we, we're in a young generation where they're really trying to get away from that. Like, they don't want to talk to older people or hear anything that some old people got to say. And Man, there's uh, there's so much information in talking to older people. Like, it's it teaches so much. Like, that's what keeps our, us progressing on top of keeping the woman a part of the conversation. Yeah, those old heads, man, they got a lot of wisdom. That's good, man. That's good that that you understand that money is not this thing that that you should covet. You know, it's mm. it's, it's it's obviously necessary to pay yeah. your bills and whatnot, but it shouldn't be the driving force. Yeah. And and the fact that you you know you love acting, it's something that you do obviously for enjoyment. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely see uh, some good things in your future regarding that because you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, I always tell people. Just do what you love. The money's going to come. Mm -hmm. yeah, as long as you're doing what I mean, you love, uh, you're do, you, 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 you got the passion, you got the drive. Everything else is going to take care of itself. Amen. Amen. I try to, you know, keep people up that be around me because I, you know, I, it's easy for me to see clouds over some people. And growing up, I didn't even learn about divorce until I got to high school. Like my parents have been married over 40 years and not having or knowing any type of example of separation or abuse or anything like that, it, I had to learn it just from hearing it from people. And well, when you hear some of this stuff and these stories and stuff, man, that stuff, I mean, people live and do nightmares. Like, I mean, the stuff that people have survived and gone, have gone through and when they have told it to me, you know, it's, it's set me back so far to the point to, you know, I'd always ask, you know, I'd even ask God to change our positions. Cause I just, that's just Christian in me, you know, obviously that's that Christ aspect of, you know, the take my white, um, the, give me your dirty clothing, like that type of thing. And it's, yeah, it's, it's tough watching 
a new generation of kids go through. Like, you know, and just so haphazardly. Like, you know, people have such a lack of parenting nowadays and education of it because they didn't have their own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people that didn't have parents that are having multitudes of kids now. And it's fucking us up because we can't have more broken homes with people believing that every home isn't broken. Like, that's just like, you know, you got people that believe that the police never do any wrong. I know people that believe the police are angels, never do no wrong. Like, there's, I mean, there, we have, there's not even a certain precinct we can focus in this country. It's everyone that has different videos of a minority being killed or something because of assumption of their values or assumption of what they could do or what wrong they could do. And we just had our president, okay, bombing in Syria and stuff. And I campaigned for Biden. Don't get me wrong. I My only problem with it is that if they're not going to show the same attention to citizens living through a pandemic and will sign off on some bombs, you know what I mean? Like there's a, a democratic process. Congress has to sign off on war. So if you retaliate on somebody because they did something and you put a price tag on it, that's more than what we getting yeah. <laughs> with some stimulus checks. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And that just tells me where your values are. I've been in politics my whole life. I can discern politicians better than most people that vote and most people that have been voting longer than I've been around. I can tell. I can look at somebody and tell if they're self-preserving or if they're a lifelong politician that actually does their stuff, you can look at somebody and tell. And, I mean, look at their history and see the people around them. You can look. It's a, when I say look, there's a whole lot going into that look. I'm not just talking about looking at somebody. Right. I mean looking into them. When you look into some of these politicians, they're self-preserving. Human's natural instinct to self-preserve. The problem with it being in politics <laughs> is that it's not the, for the preservation of everybody. It's, no. it's, it's, it's for the preservation of the, their wealth and themselves. And we're having, you know, a lot of uncloaked demons, but it's not going to change uh, the grand scheme of the process that we have to become a part of, like from young people to everything. Because the only way it's going to change is if we, you know, are vocal about what we don't like. And, no. what we, and what we are seeing when we don't like it. Like, there is a big problem with, uh, you know, I, I mean, what, bro's been in three weeks or what, or maybe a month almost or something like that, and uh, he promised stimulus checks the first week, promised to student loan stuff. I mean, there's so much that was promised that has already been backed off of. You know what I mean? Like, I worked on those campaigns in Georgia, the OSOF and the Warnock. I did out-of-state calling for them. I got paid for it. Those guys are going to have to, for their voting base, they have to be true to what they were telling those people. They don't have the luxury of a White House and a whole press secretary and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, so they they got to, you know, they're, they're trying to make that happen for their people in their districts. And Biden is just monologuing. <laughs> like, I, Biden is monologuing. I, I love OG, but, you know, because my auntie's Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. So like okay. I'm I'm real close to it. Like I get I I could ask, you know what I mean? But stuff doesn't get done, man, until you know they it's prioritized in their face. You know, like it just has to be. Yeah, man, that's uh 
That all probably took a couple hours and we went down that rabbit hole of politics. Oh, yeah. Um, we, could, we could start a whole... <laughs> we, could, we could do a whole episode of local politics. Like, literally, like Houston. And I can give you a rundown and everything on stuff that's going on here locally from the mayor, uh, you know, trying to uh, get everybody to, you know, uh, back him because he's going to run for governor uh, eventually. And they, he wants people to back him for that. On top of um, the, you know, with Biden just visiting here with Greg Abbott and stuff, the, you know, what's going to happen to ERCOT? Like they just had their hearing uh, yesterday or day before yesterday in the uh, Texas state courts or whatever, and heads was rolling. You know what I mean? <laughs> like literally, I mean, you had a motherfucker on there, bro. Like they said, you know, I, I don't know if it was a CEO or it was second to CEO or something, and they asked him, "Would you do anything different?" No. Would you do da 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 any different? No. Would you do da da da? No, don't give a fuck. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, don't give a damn. Like, and they, the whole when you got the whole committee that had to step down that was out of state. You know what I mean? Like, it's you can't write this shit. Like, this we only gonna see these cracks in the uh, concrete when we're focusing on them and fix them. Like, cause this stuff only comes to light when people die. Like, yeah. they, like, like literally that cold that happened a couple of weeks back was a class genocide. In a sense, they were like they said, they, you know, they were four minutes and 30 some seconds from total blackout on the grid and stuff. The reason why that should happen was because Centerpoint lost a lawsuit, I, I think, a year ago to HEB because HEB sued them um, on the grounds of every time a disaster or natural disaster happens, they lose millions of dollars in merchandise because Centerpoint and ERCOT can't keep the power on. So they sued to have lobbyists and third party power to in every one of their stores. ERCOT's argument for that was, well, we wouldn't be losing that stuff if we could update our grids across the board. So we need a raise. We need more money from da-da-da-da. They lost the lawsuit. ERCOT's not getting any federal money because it's not a federal company. So it would only come from the state Senate approving those dollars and stuff. So they've been fucked for more years than, you know what I mean? Like They've been fucked like at least since Harvey. You know what I mean? Because after Harvey, they had to update a lot and fix a lot of people's stuff. But that's why we were in the position. H-E-B. H-E-B <laughs> uh, is the reason why we lost all that power and all that and stuff. Solely. I, that's, uh, I had not heard that, that angle. I, I uh, definitely have to investigate that, see what's up with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I know there was a lot of things going on with uh, some type of uh, contracts or they, they said that they... they uh, they they basically had sold some some amount of energy away, mm -hmm. and they could have gotten it back, but it would have been at a premium. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's the bottom line, right? They didn't want to lose money. Yeah. So we knew, and I mean, you know, the only reason why they even have the fucking company is because they want to have the ability to secede. That's the only reason why ERCOT exists. Like, it's just, this is retarded. We're in a red state that is outdated. You know that I mean in the 200 year history of the Texas Senate, there's been less than three blacks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, bro, I can go down the list and say the problems wrong with that building. You know what I mean? So we, that takes elections and people like, we, we're not gonna take it. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't know where them people, you know, I need them people with that, you know, capital ride energy that those might've been some idiots up there. You know what I mean? Like in doing that stuff, but we need people on the opposite side with the same energy. Like, not just, you know, Black Lives Matter. Like, the problem with Black Lives Matter 
uh, is that everybody can't get behind that. That's not, you know, it's not the, it's not the phrase that's bad. It's, that's, it's not something of unification with others. Like, it's not, it's, it's hard. Like, in the um, 70s, the reason why the civil rights movement lost its steam was when James Brown came out with I'm Black and I'm Proud. And the, that, those years of, you know, that um, black exploitation, I'm going to say, because it didn't unify us to get more rights. They just unified us to sell different stuff to us and to market to us. Like I, I posted a video on uh, Instagram of how they, uh, it used to be an old department store education video teaching department stores how to market to black people. Literally, like, the Negro likes looking like this. They may not like the regular brand stuff because everybody else has it. So you have to have something that gives them a little variety. Like, literally, a whole documentary about how to sell to a Negro from the 70s in color. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, this stuff is real. Like, and it's it's a problem because they, in America, they've, you know, in different fields, they've looked at minorities as less. Like, and they... You know, America has painted us different plenty of times. Like, they characterize blacks as monkeys. They characterize Mexicans as, you know, just drug mules. And they characterize even Japanese and, Asian, you know, Asian people as rats during the war and stuff back in the day. Like, America's professionals at it, at dehumanization of people. Everything that people go through in our community and stuff, we're recovering from generations of suffering. Like, you know, on both sides, even for some people, like, I mean, you got people in some Spanish cultures that, and I mean, there's been conflict going on in certain places in Venezuela and Brazil and stuff since before the establishment of, you know, the cartels. Right. <laughs> like, so it's like, it's, I mean, but now the cartel stuff is such a big problem that it is the you know forefront. Like they run the governments, like, and the governments want to run the cartel because they want to make the money. And that's bad. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's just what America's doing with the pharmaceutical company. Like, they just, I mean, there should be a cure for cancer by now. You know what I mean? Like, we, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a very fair point, you know, and it, it's the ignorance, too, that that is prevalent when people, you know, go, well, I mean, uh, you know, the, things are getting better. You know, things are getting better. It's like, okay, but do you not know how recently shit was, has been fucked up for like you said the 70s shit was really fucked up back then i mean slavery has gone like even like slavery was just it just changed form the only reason and why now it's it's like, it's prison systems exactly that's modern day I mean, slavery and but you know and i tell people there was more slave ships uh that went to south america mm -hmm. you know brazil got america. a lot of them yeah, yeah exactly so the i mean the the horrible horrible things that are happening to people in um, South America and Central America right now. I really think people, you know, it should be the forefront of relevancy to us only because we're fueling it. I mean, those cartels are making the money off of America. Like, mm -hmm. the, the, and I mean, and, and Europe, like Europe shops with them too, but that takes a hell of a lot longer than where we are. So America's fueling all of the conflict. I mean, f f to the Juarez, to the, uh, the, other, the other guys. And... It's, I mean, it's it's gotten to the country. You know what I mean? Like, the, you can't even have country towns anymore do farming or anything. They have to either grow cannabis or they got to, you know, have somebody protect them. You know what I mean? Or they got to, like, it's it's horrible. Like, and even in America, people will say, we have it perfect. We have a grade. Like, we got this. Like, I, I mean, I know, you know, people that are just, you know, the, trapped in the trap. Trapped in the trap. Like, they don't see anything else they could do in life and stuff, potentially, because, Nothing's been shown to them. Not that they're not capable. I'm talking about young people, people under 21. Like you got a bunch of people that ain't in school right now, whose moral 
morals are all over the place. Like, and they don't know themselves yet. And you asking them to, uh, you know, like, pick certain high schools, pick certain colleges to go to, and then pick a career, and then go in debt, and then do this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're not giving anybody any real direction to, like, succeed. Like, it's just go a direction. Because we've made it and said that your minorities are now accepted now. So go. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so go. Here's your opportunity. Go. Like, here's your here's the respect for your color. Go. White people don't get this exact opposite you know what i mean like it's just it's just a whole different life for them <laughs> like and i don't because i have white friends i don't i yeah. never uh emphasize you know uh white people's color to to demean them there's nothing that i could demean you that you doesn't don't feel in yourself because of the history that's already there that i don't have to do anything about i don't have to uh, that stuff happened without me ever existing. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, it'd be different if we were talking about something that, you know, because they could say, oh, my family was never a part of that. Okay. My people weren't a part of it either. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, they weren't a part of it. They weren't allowed. <laughs> like, so it's like, you can't use that excuse. Like, white, you got some people, white people that just run around accountability. Like, people, people nowadays, because of their lack of patience and, um, they're yearning for immediate satisfaction or gratification. They lack that, uh, you know, ability to see the other side. Like, I mean, I mean, white people just even now, like there's some white people I know who can see it and got it and stuff and understand, like there's people that comprehend it, but there's a lot of, you know, that that's a human thing. You know what I mean? Like it's different when it's like a, a white person teaching about the black struggle. That's different. Like, you've seen that older white lady that used to speak, like, you don't understand just how much you have without da 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 Like, that old white lady mm. with the glasses. Like, I can't think of her name, but she was a famous doctor. She's done, you know, speeches with, you know, auditoriums full of white people. Like, you don't understand how much racism has been, you know, created this country. Like, she goes into it. Right. Like, Af there, there's, you know, there were African settlers here before Columbus. There's written history of how America used to be and the people that were here. You know what I mean? Like, all that stuff exists. It's just the history was never able to come out because they wrote something different. Like, it's just, I mean, they, history is written by the victors. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... Well, because people will say, oh, slavery was so long ago or black people went through that so long ago. When I was a kid, I loved horror films and I loved scary movies. The scariest story that I heard as a kid was a story about Emma Till. Like, because when I was a kid and I saw that documentary, for a mama to have the ability to have an open casket funeral for something like that to happen. I, I mean, I thought to myself, I'm like, this, this could happen to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I could whistle at a white woman and lose my life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and just, and that'd be that, you know? And they, and they know the world don't miss a beat. Like, nobody cared. Like, that's scary. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're we're nine years or eight years from when Trayvon Martin happened. Like, I remember marching, at, you know, for Trayvon. Like, going to the candlelit visuals for that. For, I mean, all those different guys that were just getting killed. It seemed like it was a new one every month. You know what I mean? Like, it, and it was, because they... It's just been, you know, it's been coming out because people have a problem with it, too. Like, I mean, it'd be different if people weren't noticing, like, hey, these niggas is getting killed for no reason. <laughs> like, you know, niggas been getting killed for no reason for a long time. And now people are now seeing how it's just not okay. Like, the Ahmaud Arbery thing was really crazy because it easily could have, you know, and we're still fighting for that, you know, justice. We're still fighting for those guys to go down the three dudes who followed him and he was jogging in the neighborhood. Their justification was that because the stand your ground law that is in any state, you know, different states and all that stuff. It's, it, it only, it's a classism law. 
it only applies to who is who has the money. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's not going to apply to you if you're not. They're gonna. So many other questions will arise before they'll use the stand your ground law with a minority and some shit. You know what I mean? Like they'll um, arrest every nigga involved before you know before they'll just like oh well he was standing his ground at that gas station when those hoodlums pulled up on <laughs> like you know they're just like no you're going down because you knew them you know what i mean like it yeah. just be random stuff like i bro i have seen football jerseys thrown at boys 16 17 18 19 20 21 football jerseys for the, I mean, shit, if you really think, you know, this nigga is such a threat to society or some shit like that, how the hell is Harvey Weinstein getting 40 years untouched? You know what I mean? 30 years untouched, unchecked. Like, I mean, all these, you know, crazy older people that they're canceling or they cancel culture, I'm like, shit, they've been getting away with this for years. And now, you know, it's like, oh, we don't want to hang somebody for sins that we just now are noticing them doing. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if this dude was black, he wouldn't have got that long. You know what I mean? Like, if, if any of the people that you see, like the um, the uh, what was that dude that uh got killed? Um, uh, not Weinstein. Uh, what was Epstein? The, Epstein. So the thing what happened with Epstein, man, that is the pinnacle of white privilege. I mean, he he was the literally a man got so untouchable because he was able to hook up. You know, whoever notable with any age girl got so untouchable to the point to, you know, he shipped his wealth off to a whole different account and then was able to, you know, he didn't kill himself. Obviously, we know that. Yeah. Like, this man in his life and his career would never do such a thing. It just would be against every grain in his fiber of being. He was the epitome of self-preservation. This dude used to rape younger girls. Like, that. I mean, this, this, he, he had different cases dismissed that was already, you know, that that man of self-preservation would not kill himself. It wouldn't make sense. It it wouldn't make sense. It, it not in federal custody. If he would have killed himself at his a million dollar house and da 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 da, that makes sense. Okay, cool. He did it on his time. He sure ain't gonna do it on federal time. <laughs> you ain't gonna kill yourself Especially on federal time. when you've gotten away with it so much. And he knows he's got some action. Exactly. And I think I think we know. I mean, he, he had videos and recordings of prevalent people. I'm saying. That they were compromised. Exactly. From, so from former presidents. Somebody <laughs> killed him before he, before his, before he, you know. <clears throat> I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, somebody got to him before that. Yeah, of course. Like, because they, they knew what would have happened. They was like, okay, this, you know, if we throw him under the rug, he's going to sing. You know what I mean? They know that. They know. So they had to handle him. And I mean, for another definition of it, for Donald Trump to be elected president and all that and stuff, for the, I mean, that was his best friend. You know what I mean? Or, or even if it wasn't his best friend, this is who he associated with. Do you think that if, I mean, do you think, like, would it be okay if America voted for somebody who used to be cool with uh, Hitler? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, if he was, he, oh, I was so long ago, we went on a, uh, we just went out we're skiing or something like that. I, I didn't, you know, sympathize with the Nazi party. You know what I mean? If a black dude said that and he ran for something, they call him Nazi, 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 nigga. Yeah. <laughs> Nazi nigga. But, like, but even not just Donald Trump, right? He was cool with Bill. Exactly. So the, I mean, it's one of those Bill things Clinton where it's, thing, it's, it's both sides. It's, it's even crazy with Bill Clinton because, you know, both sides that I see of it is, you know, black people that approve of him for, you know, God knows reasons. And then, you know, people that don't approve of him because of knowing, obviously, you know, what the Clintons have gotten away with. Right. So it's just weird looking at it because it's like, well, why the fuck are these people even famous? You know what I mean? Like, why are these people even big? Like, because it's like politicians 
they the local ones at least you can tell who cares like in local politics because i've been in it my whole life so i can see a local politician and them but when you get to the national politics people that have been in congress for long a senate and long stuff you get some people that have lived through some crazy information you know what i mean like they got a otherworldly thick skin oh and, yeah and, and these people sometimes the stuff that pleasures them is weird and way different and something some people can't afford you know what I mean? Like, and so you have to think about all those stuff that comes into play by the time they are speaking. You know what I mean? Like, and I've been around politicians. I can tell you most of their speeches are written by somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, cause they don't have that time. They can't sit and they got to talk to people about a bunch of other stuff that's pressing. So speeches, stuff like that, people write that stuff for them and they're like, okay, all right, that'll work. Like, you know, that type of shit. So you, you know, I tell people political discernment is crucial you got to have political discernment i'm not telling everybody to vote because i mean i was a voter register and i know how to register people to vote you can't force people to care about this process if they don't understand it you know it takes comprehension and to, to you know I, I got people that are preaching black nationalism even you know and there was um there's a long history of pan-africanism here in, in the americas and it was destroyed like uh, Marcus Garvey was one of the uh, black pinnacles before, like it was around the time like Frederick Douglass. And Marcus Garvey was um, from Ghana and he was trying to preach to people here in the Americas, the black people that had wealth who were Republicans, uh, you know, uh, re, you know, re um, entwine the African uh culture you know into your own like bring everything that's african and stuff like into america now like you can do our culture we can easily indoctrinate it in like we can easily add this in like stuff so marcus garvey was like his pan-africanism because he donated to a bunch of different black stuff like and was helping black businesses and stuff and so um he ended up he was arrested for the stupidest of reasons and killed in police custody like you know type stuff like and i can't there's there's too much history of the assassination of progressive black figures to keep up with. Oh yeah. Like there's like, I mean, I wish I could just name them off the top. I'm working. So I will be able to, because there's so many, but I mean, from, I mean, from Marcus Garvey to Malcolm X to Martin Luther King. I mean, there's, there was people even before them. Like, I mean, there's that America just has a problem with just the progression of at the African, like, you know, the progression of the African, like, that's what I'm going to say. Cause it's, it's not black. It, the color, I've, I don't like black. Black isn't accurate enough for us. Like we are comprised of so many different cultures, like uh, Native Americans and I got white in me, you know what I mean? Like I know uh, people that was Creole as well. Like that stuff is, you know, we, I, I don't want people to forget about my cultures. Like, and that's the stuff that I can be familiar with. If I can, you know, work and help people understand the history of that great continent has been intricate to the uh, elevation of every part of the world. Like, and like, there's nothing that Africa hasn't touched, like, and, and helped, you know, make better and create and stuff. And I, I, I really just believe i want to you know bring that stuff it's give it its roses like each country like because there's individual you know ghana uh eritrea south africa republic of congo like 
all these different places have such, I mean, they have even cinema scenes, you know, like there's film, there's huge independent film industries popping out of this stuff now, because like you said, everybody can make a movie nowadays and nobody knows what it looks like in <laughs> the Republic of Congo. You know what I mean? Right, like right. Nobody knows what a movie in um, South Africa and this part will look like, you know what I mean? So people are taking advantage of that and we're getting some really good international movies and stuff like that. And, uh, but it'll take a, a while before like Africa movie scene is yearn for like to watch and all that and stuff like that'll take a while. Like, yeah, I think uh, the main thing is when you you're talking about you know keeping the, the 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 whole African influence down is 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 I feel like it's anything that jeopardizes their power their mm-hmm. their platform. You know they've you know uh you know the white man the old white man or whatever uh they've been in power in this country for a long time mm-hmm. and they don't want to relinquish that you yeah. know and, and 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 i understand that you know yeah. anybody who's in power doesn't want to lose the power but it's a con- it's a combination of a beast at this point cuz you know it's that it's like racism it's capitalism it's because they've been in it so long they've gotten able to you know so many sins you know what i mean like so they can deal with the whole spectrum everybody else doesn't necessarily have that luxury you know what i mean like cuz uh, I, I can tell you there's conflict in Africa, obviously. Yeah. There were African tribes that were selling other tribes to the Europeans during right. the slave trade. So that's not new. Uh, but what is new was that, you know, colonial aspect of we're just going to take this land and these resources and use it all up and never give you any and never even register you as a person. And we're going to keep our names on it for as long as possible. That's colonialism. That's the history of America. There's nothing rich about it. There's nothing great about it. The only great thing about the history of America are the figures who have fought against it. <laughs> like, literally. That's the greatest part yeah. of America. That's what America built itself on. We have a Black History Month, Martin Luther King Day. They didn't give a shit about Martin Luther King. They killed him. FBI killed him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Martin, and this is from people who knew Martin and was in this situation. He didn't die. Until like, you know, 20 minutes at the hospital, like 30 minutes at the hospital, like he could have been saved. This was a gunshot wound to the chest we're talking about. You know what I mean? Like it's it, this wasn't something that he couldn't have lived from. And they let him die. They did. They, the doctor was told not to save him. That was a different time. You know what I mean? Like with something like that happening would be hard to, to hide. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, but this was a time where shit, who, the, the niggas don't even work in the hospital. If you're not, an, if it wasn't a nurse, you know what I mean? Like, if, if it wasn't a black woman nurse or stuff like that. So what what could we know? What could we say? You know what I mean? Like, literally, like that kind of thing. And so that's what Martin, um, with Malcolm, the Malcolm situation, they had somebody, um, you know, come in with a, a sawed off shotgun, you know, during his speech. Like, you know what I mean? Like that dude. That came from there was from the uh, one of the sister uh, black Muslim uh, nation houses. of Islam, right? Yeah, the nation of Islam. It was like from one like uh, like literally in a different part of New York, like literally like it was from that one. And I mean, they, they, they just you know it was a shooter. Like literally, the FBI just hired a shooter from one of the black mosques, like to get rid of them. They said, "Well, you know, we'll help you out. We'll let it shut it up." Oh, that's it. Like, you know what I mean? Like there was nothing. You know they. Is it, what was so horrible about that one was, you know, what the Malcolm X thing was just like, he had, you know, this is the father of three girls. Like, you're like, he's, he may have been aggressive with his 
aggressive with his speech because we needed aggression for at that time, like for our people. Like, and for him to just be, you know, destroyed in the way that he was was just like I mean, because there's a documentary obviously about it that talks about that shooter coming from that temple, and I, I had a um, my great uncle who's uh, uh, still alive right now, uh, Perry Smith. He was one of the Freedom Riders, and he rode with Malcolm X, Malcolm X and he rode with uh, Martin Luther King and was around them early on and has stories with them that give you goosebumps. And when he told me about, he met somebody who was there, you know, helped Malcolm in his last moments and all that and stuff, like, they, you know, I, I can't remember his last words to the top, to uh, just off the top, but I know his last words was, like, something... Um, it was something distinct because he it, it was a whisper, you know. He he was that was a shot sawed off to the chest, like he got yeah. like shot like downward too. Like even though it was like a flat, like it was the dude was big. He was like I think they said the shooter was like had to be of six four, six three or something like that because he was in an overcoat type stuff and boom. And even in the video coming out of there, you can um uh they believe they can see you know who is the shooter like coming from that like from the body shape. Like, and they, they, there's a name, like, and a guy and oh, who they believe did it. And the Nation of Islam, they know it. They're like, you know what I mean? They, they approved it. <laughs> they know who did it and they know the guy. Like, he lives regular life and he owns Bakken Gym, like, regular dude. Like, he did it. Like, and he, he'd never admit it, say it on camera. They'd never make him admit it. Or, you know, he'd probably get killed if he do it. You know what I mean? Like, but it's black on black. The um, situation with the dude with, where you see the Judas and the Messiah that just came out. I had an uncle that was a Black Panther as well who visited my mom at a crazy hour when she was a kid and stuff. And she remembered she had to get up and he was in his black, you know, boots, black uh, pants, black everything and stuff and was getting ready to go. Um, we're talking about, um, what's his name? Um, Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton was murdered by the FBI while he was sleeping in his room. You know what I mean? Like 40 shots, 30 shots, sleep. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they, they put a uh, a mole in the Black Panther party. That's what the Judas and Messiah movie is about. And they paid him $300 like, to, to get the map out of their apartments and everything and stuff so they could do the raid. And they just, you know, they, they killed Fred Hampton and they killed, oh, they killed so many Black Panthers. <laughs> they killed many Black Panthers. I'm talking about after Fred Hampton and um, fucking, uh, it was one more dude, uh, Fred Hampton and uh, Huey Newton. Huey Newton and Fred Hampton both gunned down when they were asleep. You know, uh, Absol has that song, Huey Knows. Yeah. Yeah, he, that's what he was talking about in Huey Knows. Like, he literally, like... I mean, that's why Absol is, I mean, one of the one of the beasts. And he was on that Huey knows, like, he was going in on that, talking about that. Because Huey Newton was, you know, like, he was the Malcolm X for that Black Panther party. Like, he was, I'm ready to shoot a cracker. Like, he literally, like, that's how he woke up. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to tell somebody not to have that energy who, you know, get caught a nigga. Or who get beat up by this or get put down by that. Like, I, um... There's people that are going against the same beast, you know, um, dealing with, you know, uh, I, I've only been able to differentiate now the difference between someone that's, you know, from northern Mexico, southern Mexico, Salvadorian, Cent Central American, Venezuelan. I can kind of tell by facial structure, but you really don't know until they start speaking. And 
there's so much racism that they got to go through just in Texas. You know what I mean? Like, even though there's, you know, we, you know, they didn't, Texas is Mexico. You know what I mean? Like, Mexico is Texas. You know what I mean? Like, literally, Texas is just a Mexican state, like, in America. <laughs> like, that's yeah, the best definition. Like, I, well, I say that in because, I mean, shit, when I, I grew up learning Texas history, my brother. There is no Texas history that's relevant. All of it was just death and white colonialism. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, remember the Alamo. Hell no! <laughs> we want to remember about the Alamo. Like, uh, Stephen F. Austin, great general, da 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 Yeah, 200 slaves. <laughs> like, like, the people that they, you know, made, like, they, well, it was a, rep a republic. It was a white republic. Like, it's all the, the classic Texas was supposed to be. And... The only reason why, like, because back in the day, if you were um, running from slavery, if you made it far as San Antonio, you were either freed by, uh, like, Texans, people here, like black cowboys and stuff, Mexicans, or uh, you were freed by um, the Native Americans. So at that time, like, the only people, like, there's, there's a long history of um, black and Mexicans uh, helping each other out in the early Texas, like, black cowboys and stuff, Mexican cowboys, like, it's a, I mean, I, it was a documentary I watched about it, but like, man, the coolest stuff. Like, I mean, the coolest stories that you would think like with blacks and Mexicans, like just doing remarkable things in a time where it was, you know, we didn't have rights. We were seen as lesser people. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't just be somebody just cause you, you know, had the opportunity. They didn't, they didn't let you, <laughs> you weren't allowed. <laughs> like it didn't matter. Like Texas, the, Texas is, you know, historic about the death penalty and stuff. The youngest person to serve the death penalty in Texas was a black kid. And he was killed, you know, for something he didn't do. Got the electric chair. 15-year-old boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if there's a generation of white men or people that built this state who could, you know, put a white, I mean, put a kid in an electric chair, we don't need to know about them. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, their history can stay dead. Like, I mean, there's more important figures in history than what we've focused on. Like, it's just, there's more important people. Yeah, it's like you said earlier, man, the, you know, history is, is written by the victors. And a lot of shit that's in those textbooks are, are just are just false or, or just written a certain way. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, when we talk about, um, I mean, obviously there's racism, there's prejudice, but... America's being sold as a story that that's just false. They're made to believe that oh no, things are things are things are better or oh no, the the reason things are is because of this when in reality it's, it's all false, you know. And yeah. they're, and they're just made to believe this that either A it, they're made to believe that it's not their fault or B they don't want to be uh, they don't want to be held accountable held, or, or even just hated by their own people. Right. Cause mm. you know, you got, you got certain white people that are willing to step up and go, you know what? This is fucked up. Yeah. You know, we do have, there is a such thing of as white privilege. We are privileged. Right? Yes, they, they admit that. Yes. But those that do get alienated by other white people. Yeah. And somewhat and quick and quick and quick. And some of them don't want to do that. And it's yeah. kind of hard to blame them if, if, if that's going to cause friction between your parents, between maybe your husband, your wife, yeah. your cousin, your brother. But guess what? It takes, that's what, that's what it takes to change, to change what's all this wrong has existed here because it's not going to be nice. 
Like, you know what I mean? I, 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 I can tell that to every white person. Like, what we're asking from white people and doing, like, none of this will be easy. None of this will be easy for you. Like, it, 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 it ain't supposed to be. I tell them that. I'd be like, it ain't supposed to be because we had people going and we barely survived. We are the descendants of the people that barely made it. <laughs> It'd be different if we were descendants of the people that had already established something bigger than what y'all had. But we were part of the people that made it and y'all wouldn't have had it without them. They had it easy long enough. I'm saying. like, it's, <laughs> and, and I mean, it's, it's crazy what the amount of classism that exists in America. Because America is very capitalistic. Like, it's just... It just capitalized. It just, I mean, my, the Native American history that I have, I was, uh, my people come from the uh, Choctaw tribe. And the Choctaw tribe is descendant of the Mohawks. And they moved around like Arkansas and North Carolina and stuff like that. And man, I mean, there's, there's, there was so many different atrocities that happened to Native Americans that doesn't get covered and talked about. Like, it's just, it's just I mean, it's horrible. Like, you know the term Geronimo? Like when somebody jumped, like, Geronimo! Like that's a, a famous Native American chief who led one of the like most famous retreats ever in military history, in American military history, like from like uh, state troopers and stuff like because they were chasing after the tribe and they went back and retracted to this valley and some crazy loops that was, you know, they was dying trying to just stay in the wilderness and keep up with them. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, that's the only reason why he's held in high regard. Like, and that's there's I think there's like four chiefs that are just like that are like the most famous and they were like the last ones you know what i mean like they were the last generations pretty much like the real real indians like and it's just i mean that history in itself is enough to put into the fire of white colonialism needs to stop and we need this checked like well i'll tell you what man uh and 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 this is what they're worried about they're worried about the fact that this country is becoming less and less white right oh yeah 2040 is going to be us it's gonna be us. You, you have you have uh, Hispanics, you have uh, African Americans. I mean, they're just they're gonna outnumber them, and not only that, but you have you have uh, mixed races now. You know, yeah. you know, everybody's fucking everybody. Exactly. You know what I mean? So when you're gonna have I, white people, damn near come to the point where they got to inbreed, maybe just to keep just to white. keep the white. Like, yeah. yeah, like because it's it's everything's so mixed nowadays. Like and people don't care about color. Like I mean, there's there's I mean, people born after '85 don't care about color. Like, like, they just don't. Like, there's so much other stuff that comes up before that. Like, if if they'll, you know, be appealed to someone, if you even talk to somebody before that color won't come up. Like, it's just, it just doesn't. Like, it's, there's so much more we got to focus on in 2021 than color. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and you're seeing, you know, I, I don't like to use, you know, labels as, you know, being conservative or being liberal, but because those, those can be misconstrued in any way. Yeah. But... We are trending to being a more liberal country. We are trending to allowing people to express themselves any way they want, to yeah, be more people, free. Yeah, people got to be liberated. I mean, they need that, like, right now. Like, you, those people that you're talking about are, um, I mean, people that have to live through working just regular jobs that they believe that people that look like that should work. And those people can do anything. And that's not... You know, um, like people are just now being able to really conquer that, like finding that confidence because they're seeing people that represent them um, achieving. Like, you know, I growing up, my mom, she showed me all of those classic, you know, black actors that achieved like the Sidney Portiers and Harry Belafonte's and stuff. And 
nothing was a better example for me than seeing, you know, the um, like obviously like Eddie Murphy and Will Smith, stuff, guys like that, Denzel Washington, like guys who, um, you know, do, haven't act the fool, like for the most part, like they have, you know, been good and had great careers and been the forefront of different, like, you know, uh, different movies, like, and carried it like themselves. And I've always respected that and uh, wanted that to be, you know, my shtick. Like, I, I, I want to be able to have my own TV show, movies coming out and stuff, and I show people my comedy. Like, and um, that's happening. You know, yeah, and we definitely want to get you out there. Um, I know you recently did a, a movie called The Red Box. Yes, I, I did The Red Box, and we're working on the second one right now. Um, where, where, how can people find it? Do they just YouTube a uh, Red Box? YouTube uh, the Red Box Ike TV. Okay, okay. Yes. Any, I, any anything else you you want to want people to get out there? You got maybe the, your Instagram or any other uh, platform. Everybody can follow me on uh, at BZ from the third on Instagram. That's at B E Z Y F R M the third with with the number three and. I post a lot of memes. I post a lot of uh, political uh, activism uh, because I am active myself. I tell people to stay active, and I post a lot of um, female appreciation because uh, with growing up around the woman my whole life, I always uh, have wanted to make it a part of my life to elevate uh, them as high as, I, as high as my sparkle burn, <laughs> like because. Women just don't. Um, I mean, they don't get it. They don't get enough love. I, I completely agree, folks. I need to check this man out. Uh, YouTube, uh, the Red Box. Follow him on Instagram, uh, Lawrence Bell the Second. Thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you. Covered man, a lot and uh, really enjoyed it, man. Time was right. You see, it started to rain, but God was like, "Hold on, they got a good conversation." You know? <laughs> yeah, this is, <laughs> let me let me chill out for a second. <laughs> Same. Sure. All right, man. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it.